Hmm. But then we also need to be careful with that because, you know, just because there's scientific value doesn't necessarily justify, you know, treating a, an animal in a unfair way where it compromises yeah, their well-being and well-being. So again, all these things are on a continuum. It's all on a gradient. Yeah, but um, yeah, when I hear those things, I'm like, yes, there is scientific value, but we there has to be a line somewhere because oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. For sure. that just yeah. doesn't justify these other things, which are really helpful. For sure. Welcome to The Conservation Couch, a weekly podcast where four buddies from four corners of the earth come together and chat all things conservation. Our mission is to create a global conservation conversation and make it accessible for all. Featuring on the couch, we have myself, Dr. Mahesh Pat, James Jemu Mwenda, Jamil Dowling, and last but not least, Blaine Earth Offline Edwards. So if you want to join the conversation, make sure you subscribe right now. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Jamie, I saw your Instagram live the other day and you were like... <laughs> he was talking about the rhinos. He was like, my girlfriend... <laughs> he goes, Fatu is my girlfriend. And it was just the grin on your I could have stopped laughing when you said it. <laughs> she's a she's a looker though. She's a good looking uh lady. Not gonna lie. Yeah, she's a good looking yeah, yeah, specimen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well yeah. <laughs> the I think it's I think ladies find it very interesting talking about it. I think they think it's quite um they think it's quite bizarre, you know, seeing that you have uh, Brian of being a girlfriend. Be fair, but I do it. When, yeah. I, I can relate. When I was working in Thailand, I was when I was a mahout. I, I had the same thing with my elephant. Yeah, yeah. And you become like a couple. It's it's a, it's a strange feeling, but it's great. People think it's weird that your girlfriend is only one of two subspecies of rhino. How's that weird and or unusual? Speaking <laughs> <laughs> grey, but she's great. Yeah. yeah, but I like the the perception behind it because I think. Everyone has once dated, everyone has been a girlfriend and a boyfriend. So I take people from their world and bring them, bring these rhinos to their world of humans so that it's, it's, it's become so quickly relatable, you know, and people are able to get a bit of feelings and connection with this animal. And I, I find out quickly people find that very interesting. And that alone brings an investment in terms of concern and uh, what's going on around them. So uh, it's a tool that I've, like to using and I, I still love it so even now it's all when about the awareness that. strategy Jeremy yeah definitely yeah Just, definitely you're so right I, yeah. I like how you're saying it's a strategy but really it's she's your girlfriend yeah because <laughs> oh, yeah I love her definitely you you know I have given my heart to these rhinos I mean that's I spend a lot of time with her than I, I do with my actual girlfriend so it's true <laughs> it's true <laughs> It's true. <laughs> on that, on that day, real quick, this idea of anthropomorphizing animals as a tool, that obviously can be used in a, a bad way as well. Like, what do you, where do we, it's a double-edged sword. sword. Like, where do we draw the line of kind of humanizing these animals? Like, how well, do you- Definitely not put in costumes on monkeys. I'd say that's a good line to draw. 
It's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a but I also think I also think it's about, you know, it, it depends with what you want to project out there. You know, if I'm there with the girls, I'm doing crazy things, I'm making them perform things, I'm making I exaggerate about it. You see, even it got to a point that I even stopped having photos with them quite often and uh, just have pictures of them alone. I think it's it's actually, I started asking myself, like, what am I really showing out to the world, especially when I have selfies and pictures with them. But on the other end, um, uh, using that attribute helps people to relate. I think we need to have a line that you can cross if you have it's to, a, yeah. it's a if you have to, point, yeah, if you have to maybe feed or train this animal to, to perform a certain function, to maybe ride or entertain people, then you're going out, out of hand. But, uh, you know, saying she's my girlfriend, well, people know that I can't sleep with a rhino. Like, in, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it, it's, it's just a tool, you know? I think it's, it's very quick for people to understand just the, to the logic. Yeah, you're yeah. just using it, her. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's true it can be used in the wrong way definitely i agree with you i think we need to have a to have a line drawn yeah it's a similar argument to zoos though isn't it yeah like yeah definitely you know, yeah and, and me too i, I had, a, I had, a, stuff. I had a negative a perception of the zoo before but i think i have a different perception of a zoo now like the one i had before uh yeah. there's, there's should we should we go straight should we start or have we started i thought we had the recordings on isn't it i don't know let's go let's go we're around we're live oh welcome to the couch Woo! Mm. everybody clap jimmy can't his abs are in <laughs> all right zoos what do you think about zoos jimmy uh, I think it, it depends with the motivation and the drive of that particular zoo. I was in the States and I visited a few zoos. I actually wanted, sometimes I, I didn't want to hear what people have, the perceptions about them. I wanted to go and see it for myself. There's horrible zoos that keep animals in very horrible conditions and make these animals perform acts and, and, and aspects that are not worthy. But there are zoos that are really um, animal husbandry. They have very good concern to the welfare of, of animals. And we cannot underestimate that the role that a good zoo can play in terms of raising awareness for animals of the ground. We have seen them and they completely support maybe having a single rhino in a zoo, raising awareness about the plight of rhinos on the ground, helping even raise the needed funds to protect the rhinos on the ground isn't a bad idea at all. But if these animals have to be put into conditions and environments that are not friendly, then it becomes, it becomes worse in terms of animal husbandry. So I went into the North Carolina Zoo and I saw the, the space in the area that these rhinos had is much more bigger space than we have the two girls. Like they had a large tract of land and full of grass and and so, sort of like a typical semi-wild environment they would live in the wild. And I felt I was comfortable with that. I felt that these rhinos are living the way they should be and they have all the special care that we, the same attention we give to the girls. So the role they play in terms of awareness, uh, the people that of course will never be able to visit Africa can be able and get a glimpse of what a rhino is. They are able to be sensitized on the importance of protecting these animals, not only rhinos, but I'm using them as example across all other species of animals that are threatened. So 
I changed my perception with a zoo. If a zoo is animal husbandry, if they are treating animals well, if they are not allowing human interactions like with that, then then why not? Why not use it as a tool to educate people and help conserve other species on the ground and 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 fund uh, science behind the conservation of species on the ground. And, and you find some zoos collaborating with scientists and conducting field research, yeah. <clears throat> uh, building education platforms that can be used to conservation, especially on the species on the ground. So that's that's my feeling with the zoo now. So uh, if a zoo treats the animal well, then I'm okay with it. If it's putting animals in horrible, stupid conditions, then it's not worth it. Well, we I don't know what about- the members are that place in China where they've got a bloody polar bear in a shopping mall or something like that. Mm. Yeah. That, but no, I'm sure there's nice, but yeah. many, many kind of stories like that, isn't there, around the world? Yeah. I think it's important to kind of see where the zoo's funding comes from as well, and that really mm-hmm. might determine a lot of how they go about their welfare. Mm-hmm. Just because if they're like, you know, a lot of research orientation obviously they're going to have mm-hmm. to have high standards of welfare and if it's publicly funded it's even better i mean i'm just guessing here i don't know how it actually yeah. works but um i'd assume but then there's some really good um private zoos as well you know because they have complete control of it they can do what they want and what they think's best but um mm-hmm. yeah i think it also comes down to where the money comes from ultimately they're the ones who make the decisions aren't they Mm. Definitely. Blaine, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's not a black and white kind of thing. And what you're saying is, you know, it comes down to how the animals are treated. And I think that's how I think. Like, there's a model, I just brought it up on my computer, the five domains of animal welfare. Uh, mm-hmm. You five guys freedoms. familiar with five freedoms? Yeah. yeah. I think, no, you should that know that. New, new oh, one? yeah, I know them. Yeah, we get Sorry? tested. On, we get tested. On yeah, this, this was. Uh, uh, what was the, what was the old one? What was the old version? Um, I can't. I can't remember the old yeah, version. Anyways. but we get taught about the five freedoms. Yeah, yeah, the five freedoms. Quite a lot. <laughs> so, as a vet, you have to, you know, pledge to mm. to uphold those five freedoms. Yeah, so I think in terms of the zoo, you can kind of judge, like <laughs> to a degree. Um, you know if. The practice practices are ethical or based on how you know based on that model whatever the, the five freedoms of animal welfare whatever it's called you know are there mm-hmm. how is their behavior affected how is their physical health affected their environment their nutrition all these kind of things can be influenced depending on i guess the size of the closure um the feedings mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff um hmm, it, it's a hard one though um yeah. because I think of it like there's a conservational value to a zoo. Um, and that's one thing to consider. But the other thing to consider is the, you know, the animal welfare and animal rights. And those two things aren't necessarily aligned. Um, mm-hmm. Like you could create a zoo where um, you've got this breeding program and you've got complete control over the environment and you've got the system where the animal was just bred and you're kind of um, um, guaranteeing the conservation of that species because you've got this very controlled environment and you're breeding this animal. So the conservation value was, was high in terms of conserving that species, but the, the animal welfare is you know, potentially very low. 
and what mm -hmm. takes precedence like what is more important at the end of the day if you had to pick one of the one or the other is it the, think, the conservation or is it the the right of that animal whatever that means i think it's mm -hmm. depending what you're valuing because you know maybe on the scale that animal suffering might have more benefits to the rest of its species unfortunately we're generally the ones that have put them in that position anyway yeah yeah so arguably you know they shouldn't even need to be there if we could sort our shit out but that you know historically i think i'm very good I at think that it, i think it narrows down to that we humans already have to come into an agreement that you have screwed the world i mean the world is not exactly where it, it's supposed to be in terms of our relationship with our environment and, and the resources that are there in the world. And I think some of the, the roles that Azul can play are sort of trying to bridge that, 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 that the distance that we have lost in, in terms of, of, of connecting ourselves back to the real environment, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, that, that's why if you find zoos, they will have exotic animals that do not even survive in, in those areas. And sometimes you wonder why, you know, if you talk about animal welfare, you will say that it's not healthy having an animal in an environment that is not ace. But then sometimes you find maybe that uh, environment or those, that particular animal can be, uh, can be saved through that way. Think about the northern white rhinos. If the zoo did yeah. not have them, then um, we would be about talking these animals being almost extinct now. So... Uh, it depends with the motive and, and the drive, I think, particularly, because those animals that are in a zoo can be used to help the, the, the binos on the ground yeah. in terms of breeding aspects, in terms of uh, understanding how, you know, helping. Let, let me talk of Africa, for instance, in Kenya. You know, we struggle with protecting these individual animals. And sometimes you've seen partnership with zoos that are raising a lot of funds to help conservation on the ground so it to me as i would say it's instead of having 50 rhinos killed in a near we can have a single rhino in a zoo helping educate people the importance of conservation on the ground and saving 50 rhinos on the ground so it's 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 complete it's it's not easy to have a yeah, complete it's balance. not easy it's not easy um, it's not it's easy definitely not, uh, it's so, not it's not like a what do you guys think of like safari parks rather than zoos where you go I in think, with the car i kind of like them because it lets animal come to you if you want if they want and if not they'll just stay quite far away and from what i've seen they tend to have a bit more space as well than in zoos the safari yeah. park yeah, uh, like, like you can drive in with a car. No, it's oh. it's, well, it's similar. Yeah, we have them like it's similar. I guess yeah. it's similar to safaris, except in a much smaller a, area. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, zoos. This this is so like black and white, like Blaine said. Um, like especially for like people like me, where we grew up in like the city. I'm I'm I would be lying to you if I didn't say zoos played a big part in igniting my interest when I was a kid. I loved going to zoos, so like. I think it's too easy for me. It would have been too easy for me to say, oh, zoos are bad, because if it weren't for zoos, I probably wouldn't be as interested in mm -hmm. conservation as I am now. So they play mm -hmm. a huge part in education. And um, for, you know, for, for those of us who aren't lucky enough to be able to see a rhino mm -hmm. or an elephant, zoos are great to be able to see those. But I, th I think the future of zoos is there should be less of them. And those that there are are much better run. Mm -hmm. And depending on what 
like what region or what country the zoo is in they should tailor it more to the species that are there local yeah yeah kind of emphasis on local wildlife (laughs) i think because i think there's certain species that i don't believe are really suited for captivity so obviously I'm, i'm maybe i'm biased because i've worked with elephants a lot but i've i don't believe that elephants are very well suited for captivity or like orcas for example or um chimpanzees or stuff like that and or why is they that are, what ingredient do those animals have that your makes you think that they aren't suitable for captivity is it an intelligence thing is it an awareness yeah. thing is it like a what is that in, um high, high in, i think higher intellect and also what what they need in order for them to have a um in order for them to have a an enriched life i don't think you could i don't think you can provide them with enough enrichment in in a captive setting like we uh, elephants elephants are so commonly run into behavioral issues or physical issues like for example with their feet many many elephants in captivity will always get problems with their feet because you're not providing them with the right environment because you just mm-hmm. you can't really unless you've got a load of space which is hard to provide an elephant with enough space um yeah i think certain species aren't suited for it but then you can't deny what what conservation value certain zoos bring but the issue is kind of the issue is a lot with a lot of these smaller smaller zoos where you know they don't have enough space so they if they don't if you don't have the space if you don't have the resource certain species shouldn't have like for example there's there's a zoo in the city near me where they've got a bear and it's in a pit about i don't know like the pit's probably about five meters deep and the the radius of the circle is probably about six meters um and this this bear it's got like kind of like a little climbing frame in the middle but you, you can see you can just oh, just no. by looking at this bear it's not it's it's driving itself mad mm-hmm. but they, yeah. they, don't, they don't have the space to have an animal like that so they, you re, i think we really need to the zoos really need to adapt so that's why i kind of feel like the future should be less zoos but the zoos that we have are run much better you think governments should play a role in bringing in yeah well that's 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 thing. you need, like, you need to have some sort of some sort of body that can that can like review and govern these these um establishments so private zoos yes i can see the value of it but then i mean if you go to america there's a big issue with private zoos because, yeah you know well but, we the issues with america because if you can just say you're a zoo you can have about 50 tigers and do it do a fucking one um yeah it's it's, it's a but difficult that, one but i but if I'm not wrong, I think there's a there's a, a, a recent uh, body that has been uh, initiated to control the way zoos work. If I'm not wrong, I think that's what I understood. Uh, I'm States. not I'm not 100 sure. I'm not 100. So they say it's going to they are going to have members who have specialized in different species <laughs> and who will be giving advice in terms of maybe a certain zoo, the amount of animals you can particularly have. I mean, and that the would environment be that you have, and and if the animals that you have, if there is a certain limit, I mean, they will be coming, assessing your zoo or your environment, see the type of animals you have, whether you have kept them in good uh, conditions, and then they will send mm-hmm. recommendations. They can say you can only have maybe one bear in your facility, yeah. because having three or four is just a trend to all of them. So I think there is a body, if I'm not wrong, that is. Uh, trying to regulate that and controlling the breeding as well because i guess what are, also it depends how independent these bodies are as well yeah yeah, yeah. 
that's, that's so then the other one is if you don't say it's an existing zoo and you don't meet the criteria and they shut you down what happens mm -hmm. to the animals then i think they will relocate i think they'll they will to where to maybe safer locations, I'm not sure. Yeah, but like, I mean, I mean, I mean, that, I mean yeah, <laughs> yes, that's an issue, but that's an issue we'll have to deal with. You first, you have to. Draw that's a, what I mean. Maybe if they need to draw a line, you need to draw a line in the sand, and then we'll deal with it. Um, yeah, but if they say like meet these criteria in a five-year period, or I you'll think be five, shut five down, years would be or, it's quite a short period. or less. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. They can if they want. So, mm. and uh, so can we can we just say that maybe also the value, the way information is laid, maybe in a particular zoos is, is, is a contributing factor because I think I have met so many people in here who have traveled here and they have given me an history that their love for wildlife or compassion for wildlife was triggered by visiting a zoo. Yeah, definitely. So that's I think the way, the way they relay information, I mean, the way you educate people, the way you you tell this is a rhino, of course, it's not supposed to be here, but we are talking about the cousins in, in the world, in Asia and in, in Africa, and this is what they are going through. So I think the way information is relayed is very fundamental as well, because- Yeah, zoos are huge doesn't... with public, public education. I don't think you can yeah. um, underestimate but then, on, on that though, like I understand that it's you know, an educational tool, an awareness tool. Um, but when, you, when we take that angle, and you consider new technologies like augmented reality, virtual reality, all these kind of things where we'll probably reach a point in augmented reality technology, for example, where it would look like this particular animal is really in front of you. Like it would be hard to distinguish, you know, augmented yeah, uh, rhino versus a real rhino. So that's, I, that feeling that you get may be similar just without that physical rhino there at that particular yeah we um when i was working with um william folds last year jemu um mm -hmm. we recorded a lot of stuff for a vr um for a vr project and basically mm -hmm. a lot of the rhino project um procedures we do we put one of the um i can't remember the name of the gopro but it does like the 360 yeah fusion. That's it. yeah yeah um we just stick it right by the rhino and then um he'd upload it onto one of those vr goggles and you could mm -hmm. just when you watch it like when you put the goggles on it's like it's it's an insane experience. It's it's like you're right there, um, mm -hmm. so I mean it's it's pretty good. It does pro provide a pretty good alternative. <clears throat> but mm -hmm. apart from the role of educating the public, do you not think they also have their own purpose in regards to research? You know, yeah, yeah. pathogens, well, this that. Yeah. Like I don't think they'll ever completely disappear. No, I no, mean no. maybe they fade out to less of them, and maybe they even become something that the public can't go to. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, so you're right. Years down the a lot, line, but... a lot of research is done at zoos, and like, I mean, yeah. I can speak from a veterinary perspective. Like, a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the cutting edge wildlife and zoological veterinary medicine techniques and sedation techniques and all that are perfected at zoos because they are controlled mm -hmm. environments. So, but then like, we also if, need to. Oh, sorry, continue, brother. Um, I was just saying, like, so if I, for example, if I wanted to um, become a specialist in zoo medicine. I'd do a residency at a zoo um, through, because like the, the vets that work at zoos are really, really good. So mm. on that, on that aspect, they are, they do provide like, and they educate just on like a strictly on like a science point of view, there's a lot of value there. Mm. Yeah. But then we also need to be careful with that because, <clears throat> you know, just because there's scientific value doesn't 
necessarily justify, you know, treating a, an animal in a unfair way where it compromises yeah, their well-being and well-being. So again, all these things are on a continuum. It's all on a gradient. Yeah, but um, yeah, when I hear those I mean, things, I'm like, yes, there is scientific value, but we there has to be a line somewhere because oh, definitely, mm -hmm. for sure. that just yeah. doesn't justify these other things, which are really hard. For sure. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, we might think that these animals might, even men, end up being exploited for scientific research and all of that. You know, that's another thing that. Well, I mean, it definitely that. happens. It definitely they happens. They already are. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's completely having a drawn line because I think it's not a, it's not always going to be a fair world. <laughs> it's not no. both for I mean, humans and for animals as well. So it's it's having a drawn mm -hmm. line uh, and an understanding between what is. Uh, what is fundamental and what is important in terms of the well-being, and I and I agree with with uh, with with uh, Mahesh because when we were operating on the, the northern white rhinos doing the ovum pickup, I was really amused at the level of science they were using and how keen they were in terms of animal to make sure that the whole thing went smoothly. So uh, I can't underestimate that science is also an integral part in terms of developing. I mean, zoos are, are very fundamental in terms of developing maybe vaccines and, and treatment skills that are needed by vets in the ground that can protect animals on, on the ground. So, yeah, yeah, it's a two-way two thing. It's a two -way are there any updates on, on the embryo project? Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole virus, you know, has prepared the travels, but, you know, the scientists who are supposed to come again on March and collect more eggs. Uh, but unfortunately, because they couldn't travel, they had to stop doing that. So I think they went and, um, and did with uh, at Southern White Rhinos, collected more eggs, which they were able to develop more embryos using the Southern White Rhino eggs uh, as a way of increasing chances that they can, they can have as many embryos as possible and see which, which works best. So, you know, it's all about the groundbreaking aspect of IVF. It is the first time they're working on it on Rhino. So they're trying to maximize any opportunity they can to have as much embryos as possible that can be frozen uh, and be transferred into southern surrogates. Because then we can store eggs, as you know, you guys are vets, you know, we can store eggs from the females, but embryos can be stored. So the more they maximize collecting of these eggs and making embryos, the more they increase the chances of having um, uh, the hope of saving these rhinos, even if something happens and the girls die, you know, uh, they will still have the embryos that they can transfer to surrogate moms. So, so, so far they haven't been able to do much uh, because now there's the travel bans and all of that. So, um, Jemu, if for any um, budding rangers out there, what, uh, mm -hmm. what advice would you give to someone who wants to become a ranger? I think apart from me, just wear khaki it, and also clean shaven, <laughs> clean shaven, wear khaki. Um, there you go. I think um, being a ranger, uh, just like being uh, in the conservation sphere, as as we all can agree, Maesh and Jamil and, and Blaine, you you find it's a cause that you give yourself to. With uh, you need to have a certain element of compassion to to what I mean. Uh, and an empowerment to what you want to do. It's not a job that you, it's very exciting. You know, you're living in the bush for, for, yeah. for being a ranger. You are so much uh, 
uh, outside the world, you know, the excitements of the world and the things that we think are fancy and makes life living. Uh, it's it's not the best paid job in the world, you know. It's we are we are the least in terms of job groups in Kenya. Early mornings, um, late nights. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's then it's a risky job. It's a risky job. I I remember there are days I get into the house and say thank Ooh. you God I'm alive because. Oh, can we can can we have some um, ranger ranger tales? Come on, um, give, give man, there's so many, tales. there's so many, there's so many, there's so many experiences. I I would say I think it would need three hours to tell all the stories <laughs> I've read in the bush. But if 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 you are if you are to go and listen to the stories of these rangers, um, apart from the risk of facing poachers, you know, there's there's that direct risk of being confronted by a poacher, and you know, you are always an enemy to the poacher you are standing between that poacher getting what he or she wants. And the other thing, you're also an enemy in the community because these poachers can trace you while you're back at home. They can track your movements. They can try to, to bring you down so that you don't continue protecting these animals. And apart from that, then there's a risk of these animals. I can't tell you how many times I've personally missed the death from these wild animals. No, I remember literally like one day an elephant killed me. I just missed death by, by just a needle's hole. The elephant threw the trunk over. I was standing side by side with yeah. an elephant and I, was, and I was only divided by a, a bush, you know? Yeah. Just, I, find, <laughs> I find myself in the middle of lions. Like, yeah. Like these were lions um, and, 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 and there's nothing, you know, so... And I, I remember there was a time a buffalo, I was oh. hiding. The, you know, the buffalo, we were... Buffalo's a scary man. Rhino. And the rhino, the buffalo was sleeping in a place where the rhino normally sleeps. So we knew, we know all the rhinos, where they live and what they do. So yeah. we thought it was the rhino inside. So when we were peeping, our eyes met with the buffalo. And the buffalo targeted because uh, I was leading the group that particular day because I was the one, you know, you have to ask how someone lead, give directions, say warnings yeah. and all of that. So the buffalo saw where I ran and ate in the bush. And the buffalo came hitting that bush, thinking that it has killed me. So I only ducked. And the, and the, and the front leg of the buffalo uh, touched the radio call that I had on the sides. No, I almost... I almost died. Like buffaloes are brutal. Probably died. Yeah. Buffalo's so, you know, have, you find. Have you ever had an? Oh, sorry, gone. Sorry. Um, yeah. So this, this is, these are some of the things that rangers have to put up on an everyday basis. If you are not running away from a rhino that you are so much protecting, you're running from a buffalo. You're running from a lion. You're running from an elephant. Uh, it's a job that requires you. I have had colleagues that we went to work with, and they quit within a month because it was too risky to bear. So it's, it's a job that I tell someone to go with, with your heart and just knowing that it's a service to, to something that is greater than life itself. You, know? you just know that you're giving your heart to a cause that you can't get exactly back for what you offer in terms of your service to it. So push your heart, just do the best you can and just know there's rewards in different ways that come your way. And, but that's the greatest advice I can tell someone, honestly. Have you had any encounters with poachers or any issues with the poachers? Yeah, yeah. You know, not personally getting a confrontation, but I've, uh, poaching has happened around a, a, a thousand meters from me. I was in the camp. I was alone. 
the camp is in the middle of the bush, nowhere. I was trying to cook my dinner. And then I had a gunshot. You know, the poachers will use our caliber guns, like 458, which are very uh, heavy, so that you just only use one bullet to kill a rhino. Uh, and uh, I was outside there trying to sort out my beans so that I could cook. And then there was, boom, there's, there's the, you know, the gunshot. And now I had to respond. I had to take my radio call. I had to give directions where there is. Unfortunately, they had killed one of the most successful female rhinos we had in Opejita. Her name was Caro, who had given us so many calves uh, within the conservancy. Uh, I also experienced poachers were watching us, me and Jojo. We were given a responsibility to take care of a, a black rhino that had gone blind in the world. And we were, we were sitting on a watchtower looking after the rhino and it hit 6.15 in the evening. So we had to fall out so that we could allow uh, the night guys to come and take the shift. So when we went down, five minutes, the poachers had shot down the rhino. Five minutes from we left the watchtower. So they were watching us. If they wanted to take us down, they would have shot us. Fuck. So, so they're waiting for you to leave. They were waiting for us to leave. They were just ducking in the bush, just somewhere. And we had to spend the whole day looking for them. And these are, these are very daring poachers because we had the information. We had known they had come in. We had all units on the ground with guns and everything. We had helicopter go up. They were still there. One helicopter and one uh, Cessna airplane. They were all going around the conservancy. We had an entire day of patrol. And these people are walking almost with you. You know, it's... It's in the bush, so they can duck in the bush. You can yeah. just pass by them. The helicopter will just pass on top of them. So they were literally watching. And the rhino was translocated from a different place. The same, same day, brought in there. And I was called me and Jojo to go and look after the rhino. They came, got through the fence, because they, it was brought to where the northern white ones are. Got through the fence. And they were watching us as we were watching this rhino. Because the rhino was like 200 meters from us. So they, they would have shot us if they wanted to, but oh man, yeah, I couldn't imagine when I had the gun shot, just barely a thousand meters when we had left, like we had the gunshot, so we had to report again. And so we report the gunshot, they have already killed the animal and they have hacked the horns and they have gone with it. You really wonder how they, these people they make act these so things quick, happen. Don't they? Oh man, what, yeah, they act so What's quick. the policy over there? Like, are you allowed to shoot at the poachers? Oh, yeah, on yeah. site, like if you see them, can you engage, or do you have to wait Definitely, for them? Yeah, yeah. In, in, South, yeah. in South Africa, you, the the rangers aren't allowed to shoot until exactly. Yeah, exactly. Unless you've been shot yeah. at, you can't be. Sh you can't shoot. So you have to wait. That's, you have to wait to be shot. It's so you stupid though because they just won't shoot at you. <laughs> with no, do you know what I mean? Or if they do yeah. shoot you, it's so too late. Shoot back. It's just so crazy that you wait for someone to shoot at you so that you can shoot but you'll be dead how are you going to shoot back yeah, i mean that's crazy. crazy it's crazy that's why that's it's why kruger that's why kruger is a war zone it's yeah it's a war zone because it's like you're fighting with someone who knows they have the right to kill you and there's nothing you can do they have more rights as, as long as long as you're in in a conservancy you have a gun i don't know what you're doing there so you're in the wrong place so even if you get shot it's okay it's fine yeah but, you know, if they, so in Kruger, I assume if they get the horn and stuff and they're in their car, they can drive off and you can't shoot at them. 
No, you can't. And if you don't catch up with them, that's it. You've lost, really. Yeah. yeah. So how do you even catch with them and they have guns? They yeah. will shoot at you. So, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, just don't shoot at the Rangers and they can't shoot us. It's stupid. Yeah. It's just like, let this business continue. You have, you have guns, ears, oh. you have what you think you are trying to protect these animals, but this business should continue. Don't try to shoot anyone who tries to, who is doing their business. So it's, it's really very complicated, you know, it's really very complicated. People who make the laws have got, um, got their hands in the pot, don't they? Mm -hmm. Are there any other ways to stop these poachers other than shooting them though? Because I imagine, um, I guess the ideal option is to capture them without killing them. What are those alternative mm -hmm. options? Like, are they realistic the options? Other, like, what does that look like? Yeah, the other. I think if, if these people are known, uh, there is a, an approach that can be made in a very genuine aspect. And, and that is what happens in Kenya. You know, in Kenya, you know, if you are a poacher, the government tells you clearly that you are going to, you're going to die. There's no option. You either be, you'll either be in jail or you're either going to die. There's, there's no option about that. So... The, the government is trying to make policies that completely make it really hard to go and do poaching. So we've seen, especially in, uh, in, um, in, in Tsavo and in those areas, they will go and approach poachers because these people are known by the locals. These people are known. You know, you, it's not easy. Not, it's, not, it's not really hard to tell who, because the community is there. The community knows these people. So you approach these people in a, in a peaceful way and tell them, you know, you know you are doing this. But we can work together to protect these animals. So you educate these people on the importance of them, and then you give them a job, especially to be rangers. Yeah. So, so you, give, you give them money, you give them some, a good salary, you promise them that you're going to take care of their family and their children. You tell them, are you, are you willing to change your ways? I mean, it's easy for them to change their way because it's not even their option to go and kill these animals sometimes. I mean, you are a, you are a family man, you have five kids. You need mm -hmm. to provide for them. You don't have anything else you can do. So the only thing you can do is to go and shoot this innocent animal and get a living. So if someone is coming with a complimentary way, like let's, let's give you a job and then stop killing these animals, they have taken there. So we have poachers that have been converted into rangers. And these are very smart people because they already know the rules of the game. They yeah. know what that's a, that's do. a really effective way to do it, isn't it? It's but like using a thief to catch a thief, you know? You, is the you're risk definitely there, busy. Because the, rangers are paid so little, you know, mm -hmm. what about bribes? Because they're still going to be in, they'll have to be in contact with, the, with that network, I assume. And just a bribe to kind of, you know, give information on when the watch changes are or even just yeah. to turn a blind what, eye. Yeah, that's what they do, don't they? Yeah, because you can't yeah, compete think, yeah. with a bribe. You know, they can make what they make in five years as a ranger on one day, I think. Oh, sorry, yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. what the but exact that's, number is. But that's where, that's where you, you need to re-establish the connection with wildlife and the communities. Yeah. Because, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, those communities for centuries have, you know, they've, you know, they've had connections with wildlife. But we've, over the last, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years, that connection has been severed. So you need to re-establish that connection so that they feel um, connected. So, for example, there was um, it was quite an interesting one in um, in the Amazon. Um, I remember I went to a talk um, quite back at university, and this um, it was like this ocean conservation group. I can't remember the name, um, but um, they did some work with the communities in the Amazon to protect the um, the river dolphin. You know, the pink 
the pink dog. I'm doing a podcast with the director of that. Uh, Are you? In a couple yeah, of weeks. so it's really, it really, uh, they're, 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 what they did was really interesting. Um, they, um, so a lot of them, a lot of those river dolphins were being killed for whatever reason, poaching or whatever. I can't remember the exact reason. But um, what they did is they, they, they heard about this like fable, this old, this old fable that lived in that, um, for the tribes that lived around the river. And it was that the elders of the tribe, when they die, their souls get passed on as dolphins. Mm -hmm. So the elders are dolphins. So they basically started teaching that again and reestablishing that connection between the, the communities and the dolphins. And then mm -hmm. that basically formed a stronger bond and they started, they, you know, that gave them more mm -hmm. motivation to protect those animals. And it became a really effective method of, um, became a really effective method of, the communities protect them because if the communities want to protect the animal then that's that's going to help you so much yeah a lot of, yeah a lot of these poachers come from the communities oh yeah yeah and the reason they are poachers is because they don't have a connection yeah or they had or they well, no, sorry they had a connection but it was it was well you know, i imagine though that if they're in financial hardship and they can't feed their family that supersedes any connection they may have with that oh, yeah. yeah of course of yeah. course yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Is I mean, I mean, that's 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 all, that, and I think that's all we all can have. And I think it would be good to get from you the couch members because I think so many people think um, that poverty is the only reason why poaching is rampant and why it's increasing. But I have a feeling that it's not poaching alone. It's is that there is essence of money, there is essence of rich being involved in trafficking of animal byproducts that makes it. Um, that influences even the most local person to come and kill these animals. Because we, we can imagine if there wasn't any market, then there, would, there wouldn't be any influence because we all know that in Kenya, we don't eat rhinos. We don't, we don't eat their meat. We don't, we don't eat their horns. So definitely it's the influence of money that comes along with, 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 the, with the killing of these animals. And so I, I think it's, that, that's, that's why I think awareness and education is a very fundamental thing because that, that we are able to understand why it is important to conserve these species. And I think yeah. these communities is very integral. As you're saying, yeah. it's, it's then, not easy to yeah. conceive conservation without community. Yeah. And then when you've, by reestablish that connection, you want to make that connection something that they can turn into a job or something that they can make money from. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, your connection alone is not going to put food on the table. But Definitely, I mean, yeah. Also, it's, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, but it's definitely not, the poachers fault you know obviously it's not great what they're doing but mm -hmm. if you had to support your family and you're going to do what you, you have know, to do. you had nothing you'll do what you yeah. have to do i think if i Definitely, was in that yeah. position i'd consider it i don't know if i'd have the same moral values i do now because i've grown up mm -hmm. here and there's a different quality of life it's mm -hmm. like at what point would you break it's like if your kid's dying of malnutrition would if, you consider it if, if i had a family to look after and mm -hmm. you know we were struggling to put food on the table and there were two options either kill a rhino and feed my family or not kill that rhino and potentially my family staff i would be looking after my family first and foremost yeah. and i think that is the thing that i think um people that are living in you know people like me living in brisbane yeah. australia you know i'm not having to wake up worrying about stuff like that. Um, people in that situation, 
if you had the exact same experience, that exact same way of thinking, you'd be doing the exact same thing as them. That, that exactly. Um, That's what I, I mean. I think it's, it's hard like, for people to admit that, but it's the, oh, definitely, it's the truth. Definitely. But I hate admitting it. You know, I'd like to say, no, I'd never do that. But if you put yourself in their position, I think yeah, yeah. most of us on here would potentially at yeah, least consider sure. it quite sure. seriously. And I love um, or do it. Like, I think I'd do it. You know, yeah, if there's I mean, yeah. no other option. Exactly. But yeah. So I think what needs to be tackled really is I mean, the people at the top who feed yeah. the money into the poachers, you know, because you can kill many poachers as you want. You can kill all of them. They're all going to be replaced. Yeah, you need know, to be it's going to be someone the kingpins the kingpins yeah yeah and it's like got, oh I mean, sorry go for it Jeremy. it's a billion dollar industry isn't it so yeah and i think if conservation does not solve communities problems then it's not gonna it's not gonna succeed that's why you can talk about conservation without addressing uh the raw indigenous people pray and the importance they're, they're the key uh, yeah they're the key because if the people surrounding maybe, for instance, a conservation area do not get any value from that conservation area. And that's why tourism is a very fundamental thing because they are able to get jobs as guides. They are able to, to sell their products that they have made, like the Maasai local people, the beards and everything. They're able to get a source of, there's money that will go towards education and empowering these communities. If people does not feel that conservation area, trust me, it will build a negative, feeling to these people so i think it all narrows down to people we need to when we are talking so, about these animals i think we need to talk more about people as we are talking mm. about animals because without this then without people having an understanding uh why it is important to have these animals then they won't have you, you will yeah. misuse anything that you have however valuable it is if you don't know its value 100 percent. i think on that though that community thing um yeah also like obviously it needs to begin there like this idea of like an inside out approach um you know working at the community level and then working outwards from there but like also um there's a lot of um local wisdom um and to you know from these local communities wherever you are in the world like if you're a community you know more about that area than someone outside of that area so it's not just this kind of let's make sure that the communities are all right. It's like, let's work yeah, with these communities definitely. because there's yeah. a lot we can learn from them yeah, uh, to sure. find a solution. Sure. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that's um, what conservation has done in the most recent times. And I think some of the modern day conservationists and uh, evolutionary scientists have come with ideas that they have evolved. And most of the times you find they undermine the role of indigenous people in protecting species in the indigenous knowledge about uh, about these areas you know and i think if we have to move forward on we need to merge the two we need to merge the yeah. modern day science and the, and, and the knowledge of indigenous people to to be able to achieve conservation in specific spheres of conservation you know because indigenous people know exactly what what is important they know trees yeah. that are, they, I mean, they know trees that are medicinal they know why they should protect certain but they've areas. got they've but got centuries come, of knowledge don't they yeah centuries if of knowledge. you come now and fence an area and say this an area belongs to animals alone and you have no right going in you have you don't know anything we are we are educated we can we can fix the issues that are affecting there people feel left out 
you know, at the end of the day, they start working against you instead of working with you. So that's why, especially with the Je- modern day. Jemu, Jemu, I just, I just finished reading um, The Big Conservation Lie. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's good, man. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> just everything you're saying then, I was like, Ugh. Yeah, so if, it, 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 it all goes if, if people, we cannot talk about conservation without talking about, because at the end of the day, why do we talk about conservation? It's only about people, you know? It's about the well-being of enhancing life on Earth, both for us and for other living beings. So we cannot always take the subject of people out in any, at whatever no way, cost. No way, no, 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 no way. I think another good example is, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Jomu, I think it's the Maasai tribe. Because before uh-huh. they used to prove that they were a man by going and killing a lion, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. they're not doing that. If I'm correct, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know one of the it. tribes have completely changed it now. But then if yeah. you flip that as well, that because they've had all these centuries of killing lions as proving something, they're also going to know exactly where the lions are, where they move, what the behaviour yeah. is. So that's yeah. a huge source of um, information that you can tap into now that they've you know, realize yeah. that it's something they do need to protect. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot of, re- guy, a lot of guy, research papers out of their line knowledge. The, yeah, the guy exactly. we went with into the guy we went with in in, in, in Hong Kong, sorry, uh, called Daniel, he works with uh, he, he worked in Savo, you know, in Ambassadi, sorry. And he is the one of the integral part, uh, the integral people in coming up with this idea of um, having a complementary way with which the Maasai warriors can prove their adulthood. You know, they had to kill a lion before you get into adulthood to prove that you're ready. And what they have done is that they have devised what they're calling the Maasai Olympics. So yeah, the Maasai Olympics, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Maasai Olympics happen is like they will they will engage in spear throwing the way they were the same way they will throw the spears with uh, to the lion and kill it. And then they will have, you know, these competitions, jumping, you know, the way they do stands and jump up and down. They will do races. They will do, I mean, all aspects of sports in terms of... I'd, l- I'd love to see the Maasai Olympics. So what happens is that <laughs> you seize that opportunity as a way of educating people the importance of lions. And then you give them a prize for doing the same. For instance, the Maasai value cow. So if you win, you'll be given a big boo. It's a prize at the end of the day. And mm-hmm. that substitutes you to show you bravely in terms of that. So it's very easy to change some of these cultures that are jeopardizing the well-being of these individual animals. But it takes education. It takes just yeah. people to educate people on the importance of that. And it's really working. It's really working, uh, Jamil. And I think I love that kind of model because it's very, it's more approachable. It's just using common sense to tell people this is happening and people get to understand, but also giving them a complementary uh, aspect of the same. Well, yeah. Yeah. because yeah. the other thing is because they're so familiar with the terrain, the land and stuff, maybe the next step will be integrating them into protecting the wildlife, protecting mm-hmm. them from poachers, because then they'll ha- have that same sense of duty, that tribal, you know, that, the lands there's they have to protect it i don't know if that's a far reach currently but it could also be an option that you know if you do want to come into this you can do and it's another way of proving you know that you're part of the land and stuff i agree with you and i think that's that's proof that if someone maybe wins at throwing a, a an arrow 
you know, that's someone who is really fit. Someone is really so good. Someone who can be a good ranger. So you give them a job. Then they're, yeah. they're like, they will see the, the actual essence and need of protecting these individual animals. Uh, well, the poachers are going to be shit scared if they have Maasai warriors chasing after them, <laughs> aren't they? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I like the way our government does. You know, our government has really... Well, I can't let our government, it's not doing the best, but it's, it's been trying. So uh, in answer to your question, I don't know whether it's my issue asking like, whatever, whatever ranger is being influenced by cash, because money will always influence you wherever you are. If, if you earn uh, $300 a month and someone comes with $1,000 and tells you, I just want you to give me information just on where the rhino is, you're, you're likely bound to, to, yeah, do, to, to take it. Sure. Because those thousand dollars, you have to work for a few months before you can get them. So, I think the government has proven exactly that there is strict penalties if you if you if you are engaged in any poaching activity, and that makes everyone scared, including the rangers, because you don't want to risk your you don't want to risk your life. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that they're increasing the severity of the punishment as well, because traditionally, you know inflicting injuries or killing animals hasn't carried as much of a sentence as say for example murdering a human but yeah i think that's slowly changing and you know you definitely would consider it a bit more about murdering someone probably the same as why they didn't shoot you and jojo in the watchtower because that just takes you into a whole new category of crimes and you, that you can mm -hmm. be prosecuted for so mm -hmm. the severity of the punishment for killing an animal slowly increases as well. I think that's also going to make people think about it a lot more because before mm -hmm. it was like, Oh, just pay a fine. Kingpin will pay the fine and you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you've probably made profit from it even with the fine being paid. Yeah. Now for, for fine now in Kenya, for fine is uh, 20 million Kenya shillings. Whee! How much is that in dollars? That is 20,000 US dollars. Oh, damn. Oy, 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 that oy, is oy, a oy, fine. Oy, oy. Yeah, you can, so you can buy a lot of couches with that. Yeah, so if you, <laughs> if you, if you, you know, you can imagine that's if you if you're engaged in that, then it's it's not it's it's not something affordable. So that's one way of the government making sending a sign that we are this serious. And if you have on this evidence, where do you take a poacher? Where do you get twenty million? You know, <laughs> you have just paid maybe a thousand dollars to do it. If you so can you, pay you know, the twenty million do you get off scotch-free like that's it you're, you're 20 million paid and you don't go to prison or do you still go to prison as well yeah yeah no no you you if you pay 20 million you might go off but then the good thing is that as i've said there's people following you just to make sure yeah. you don't get back again so you don't no, go yeah. like it's free okay they will let you go but they're watching you they're watching you they're keeping an eye at what you're mm -hmm. doing so this has, that has helped. I mean, that is really yeah. helping us. Yeah. Quick question on the, the poachers. Um, if there was a scenario where, you know, the poacher is shot and killed, what is the community response to that? Uh, is that, you know, what does that look like? Is this something that generally speaking the community's for or is there kind of like a bit of backlash from that? Um, I mean, it's like in Kenya, in your, in your area. 
in my area, I think the community has been sensitized already that um, these animals are endangered and these animals deserve a chance to live. And if the community can't do anything much, if someone was inside a park and you've been shot and you have, you have a gun and you have, maybe you have already, you'd already killed an animal, let's say an elephant or a rhino, there's evidence. I mean, you cannot fight the government. It's, it's very clear in Kenya that all the wildlife belongs to the government. So even as the rangers, what we are doing is that we are assisting the government in protecting these particular animals. So if you're inside a park, you've been shot being inside a park, there's nothing much the community can do because you're in the wrong place at the first place. And mm -hmm. if the community brings a problem, then the government will be there to follow them. Like, why are you supporting people who are killing wildlife? This is, this is our wildlife as a government. So it also goes back again to what we said, engaging the people and sensitizing them and, and making them aware that these animals are endangered. If you are found killing these animals, you attract this penalty, you attract uh, this life in uh, an imprisonment in the, you know, a certain sentence. So at the end of the day, people now know it's wrong. So even the straight people who go do it are taking risks. And of course, the community will not stand with you because if you, if you are found standing with someone who has killed an animal, then the government will start asking why. And they'll start, maybe start coming for you just say like why are you supporting so maybe you also have a connection to this particular and i can tell you without going into further details there's severe consequences in even having a relationship with someone doing poaching in kenya so it, we the government is that serious so good, you cannot want to you cannot want to side with someone who has a connection with that you will say you can even say your brother you don't know him so that you don't get into, you know, you know how government deal with issues, you know, at the end of the day. So they, they're taking this business to be very serious. That's good. Well, it has to be taken seriously. Are they being more transparent with it, though? So I think historically, maybe some of the problems that happened, why people got away with it is because there may have been members of the government who are a bit higher up that, you know, if you were friends with someone or you could kind of get out of it now. But if it's a bit more transparent now, what your actions, you know, your decision as the government will be judged by all the other members. So it's not as undercovers as traditionally. If that makes sense. You know, the, good, the, the good thing is that uh, the the, the, we, we work independently, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and we work independently. Um, the Kenya Wildlife Service works independently and we are all doing one particular team. They all work together, but independently. So... If you think because you are the top there, you might influence, there's no way you can be able to influence everyone around who is involved. So at yeah. the end of the day, someone is going to mess up with things and, and screw up the whole thing. So um, you cannot say like, you know, because you will send a portrait somewhere, you have a link, you, have a, you are a government person. Maybe the Kenya Wildlife Service will have uh, an intelligence report that will show that something is going to happen. And they will they will stand in the way and stop that. So there's a good network in terms of how that that can succeed nowadays, and that is what is helping now to even. That's why you see Kenya is not having quite a good number of poaching incidents. No, I assume that if you're caught as a member of the government helping with poaching, you are really fucked. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So shall we um, just wary of time do you want to move on to the um the gene 
Gene Convo. Gene Drive, yeah. Jamil, take the lead, please. Right. Um, I'll just give a bit of a brief introduction to this. I don't know how familiar you're all with it. But to start off with, CRISPR is a piece of technology that basically allows you to take pretty much any gene you want and insert it into a functioning cell or into a germline cell. So you could you can alter the genome of a species whilst it's there. You know, it's not refined yet, so it'd be a bit more local. It'd require a lot of treatments, and they're still refining that. But what the gene drive is based on is affecting the basically the gametes. So the changes you make, the genetic changes you make, are conserved within the germline. Mm -hmm. And the CRISPR system is put in the germline as well. So when that animal will reproduce, a, a good example is the mosquito they've been trying to do, which I can't remember what they've done, but I think they've made it so that the mosquito might die when they bite someone, something like that. Oh, say, you put that. It, say you put it into a male mosquito and you just edit one male so that when he bites... I don't know, human, let's, I don't know how accurate all this is, but um, the, the idea is that when he reproduces with a female, there's a 50-50 chance that that edit you've added in will be carried forward in the offspring. So with species that propagate so fast, like mosquitoes, that's going to exponentially establish itself in the population. Mm -hmm. So by having this technology, what we can do is essentially change the genome of a whole species. So there's a few ethical questions there. Another one is, for example, they've been changing the genome of mice or rats, I think it is, so that when ticks bite them, uh, I think the tick dies. And yeah. that stops the cycle of transmission of diseases, if that makes sense. So by changing the, the germline, um, it's carried forward in every generation. But that also means that you're changing the whole, you know, not the whole genome, but you're making a change in the genome of a species. And that, that's with, a permanent change. It's a permanent change, yeah. I think there are ways of potentially switching it off or bringing it to an end, but I don't wow. know exactly. <laughs> that that's work? what I'm not sure. That, yeah. that, that's what I'm not sure about. It, it's all quite fancy, relatively new stuff in the last 10 years since CRISPR's invention. Mm. Uh, there's a really good series on Netflix that gives you the general overview called Unnatural Selection. Unnatural it's Selection. Super interesting. There's a, there's a guy trying to make glow-in-the-dark dogs, like bioluminescent dogs. Why? Um, just to prove that he can. This is the problem with CRISPR yeah, editing. That, it's like, that's, that's because it's so weird. easily accessible. You know, you can do it in your room. You can edit bacteria in your and room. That, but that carries yeah. a lot of risk. What if someone just wants to prove he can make a, you know, amoxicillin resistant bacteria? And it's like, see, look, I can pour some of this in and it thrives off it. That's scary. And what if that breaks out? And then, you know, the rate that bacteria swap genes and stuff is quite high. So, I mean, for me, the questions are, for example, if you did insert a gene drive into a wild population of animals, say, you know, let's use the rhino, because Jemu's going to get quite invested now. Um, and <laughs> Jemu is listening. No, so rhinos, listening. Rhinos, can get, <laughs> rhinos can get tuberculosis, for example, right? 
Um, and say you gene edited them with the CRISPR technology and changed, uh, made a rhino that was TB resistant. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, it's mycobacterium resistant so that they couldn't be mm -hmm. infected. I don't know how, but say you could hypothetically do that. Mm -hmm. Would it be right to release that into the population? And if you did that, would that still be the same species? I don't know what you guys think of it. If, you, if you've, if you've oh. changed the genome of a species intentionally and it's via non-natural selection, That's... like non-natural ways, is that still the same species or have you made a hybrid? Where do those genes come from? So the genes you insert with CRISPR, you can mm -hmm. take them from the same species. So say, you know, you, you have Labradors and you have like brown ones, black ones, and you could potentially take the genes from the brown one so that, you know, the next ones are brown as well. Mm -hmm. Where in that case, then the genes are from the same species. But what if you took the genes from a cat to express longer hair or to, you know, this is thinking really out, out there, but just to give really how, how, examples. How, how different is that to like what we already do with like selective breeding and stuff like well, that? Well, where we breed it's for not that like. different in the but in the sense that we have to reach that point through using the natural mechanisms. Now we can insert that trait that we want, and the change will happen. It's not, yeah. and it is permanent. It's in the genome, and the CRISPR systems in the genome as well, which means that it can just keep copying that gene into other cells. The way CRISPR works is if you think of the genome as a, as a pencil and say the CRISPR's here, um, when it gets to the point of expressing it, the CRISPR can cut the genome here, open it up, insert the genes into that section and seal it off again. And now those genes are expressed in that section of the DNA. Um, wow. So wow. In, in essence, you're not completely changing, but you are heavily changing the genome. And you can do it with, you know, you can maybe take a gene from a scorpion and put it in a dog. I don't know what gene you'd want to do, but it's allowing us to introduce novel genes outside of that species. So traditional reproductive methods like natural selection or artificial selection purely depend on the genes present in that species. You can't be mm -hmm. like, I want a pink Labrador. I'm going to breed to get pink Labrador, you know, maybe 2000 years later, if you really started nitpicking, you know, lighter colors and this and that you might get close, but it's not really feasible with this. Mm -hmm. Those sort of things are like the bioluminescent dog, you know, tell me when you're going to get a bioluminescent dog from artificial selection. I, yeah, I don't think it's possible. You've kind of just opened the floodgates with this thing for any yeah. possibility. So, <laughs> can so what I'm thinking now is like you can add or delete uh, certain characteristics in an individual using this method, right? Yeah. And you can insert exactly what you want. Can yeah. it be done with humans? Yeah. Well, this is the whole biohacker community, which um, I, I think, um, that, you know, for example, muscular growth you know, injecting to get bigger muscles and stuff like that. That can be done in humans. And I think this isn't CRISPR or natural. 
<laughs> All natural. All Blaine, I, I, I was just about to ask Blaine if he's been injected. Plant-based, yeah. That, uh, contrary to popular so, belief, this is all you, natural. You're, you're plant-based as well. <laughs> plant-based, bro. Plant-based, bro. So, Jamil, then yeah. that means there is a possibility of this, 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 uh, this gene drive technique leading a species down to extinction if, for the worst case, um, something went wrong within the, Absolutely. the whole process. So there's, oh. there's a process, there's a way you can be able to push an entire species into extinction, right? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the biggest thought I've had in regards to, there's a lot of positives to it that we can talk about in a minute, mm -hmm. but say a worst case scenario, traditionally bio-warfare has been a big problem, you know, anthrax, things like that. What if you mm -hmm. could destabilize a whole government's population of something by mm -hmm. putting in a terminal gene that expresses mm -hmm. itself at some point, and then all the animals just start dying off, or they all become infertile, something mm -hmm. like that. And it's such mm -hmm. a hard thing to control because you only need to insert a couple of these individuals into the population and it just spreads exponentially. Yeah. It so like once you do the initial that, that, what once you do the initial modification of the genes then they can replicate yeah. themselves as the animals breed naturally mm -hmm. yeah so there's there's more or less a 50 50 chance that that gene will be carried forward oh wow okay um so crazy. Then obviously, it needs to be regulated so tightly then but how do you regulate that the only way to regulate it is putting a ban on on who can use strength. the technology and well no because you can order it offline um uh. but or ban <laughs> on ordering certain strands of dna so you mm. sometimes to get those strands you want to insert you have to order it off a big company that mm. can produce them because that does require a little bit more technology mm. and then once you get them you can put them into your CRISPR system and then put the CRISPR system into what you want to edit yeah. But even that's not foolproof. There'll be a black market for it, I'm sure. Um, you can order a CRISPR editing set, like the basic one, for £130, I think. Yeah, mm. I think we, we have to talk about this pretty much admitting that we can't regulate it. There is no way that we'll be able to regulate it. So given the fact that we won't be able to regulate it, when we compare the upside versus the downside... Downside what, that, what does that look like? Well, the upside is, say, for example, you know, if a species is dying off because there's a disease spreading among it in the wild, and now you can insert a resistant individual that can't be infected by that disease. And that will happen. But that, then, in that sense, you know, conservation-wise, that might be good. But then the, the mm -hmm. thing is that that is still just a really good band-aid. That isn't really addressing yeah. the root of the problem. So. Yes, it's a really, really, really good band-aid, but when you consider the potential consequences of this technology, is that going to bring out more issues? Um, and does a really good band-aid well, justify the potential consequences? Like we still need to address the root of the problem, which is, you know, us just being irresponsible. Completely. Um, I oh, mean, man. the one that worries me, I don't know if it's possible, but say that section of DNA you put into the CRISPR system that gets replaced in sub-ons, it'll probably be very low chance of this happening, but what if a mutation happened in that that, say, caused cancer? And now every single I mean, individual yeah. of that species, the CRISPR system <laughs> will insert it into their genome, and now they all get cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because then there's a, there's a prospect of having a negative trait, you know? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, 
yeah. as far, which, which, which will be replicated on other individuals as well. And, and the eventual yeah. is uh, like extermination of a like species. It. Yeah, it's like <laughs> this I don't, permanency. It's outside. It's out like there it. now. Yeah. It's out there. I don't like it, but it's out there. So I, I just feel the like the, poten- way... the potential downsides are just so vast and we, we still don't know what it could, like you said, if there's a mutation happens, you don't know. I mean, look at Corona, like for example, like yeah. one mutation and the world stops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can this, can, this also is, is, uh, is applicable in humans. I'm just curious. Forgive my question if it's silly. Oh, yeah. I yeah, I reckon we could, re- we, we could regrow you a foreskin. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, Is that, no, I, I don't know about that one. But um, <laughs> it can, <laughs> um, so you so can there's, take... a, there's an injection called the Nova Six trial, I mm-hmm. think, and it's to make humans resistant to HIV. So it's another a, a approach to curing HIV because it makes your mm-hmm. cells be able to see the HIV virus and attack it. So there's a so, lot of positives to it, you know. So if you mean um, now, you mean if um. If you want to take some characteristics of uh, Gemma being a ranger, you can refer them to someone else who wants to be a ranger. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, yeah, that's the thing. You, you can play around with characteristics. And uh, take it a step further, gene editing babies and humans. Oh, no, no, oh, I know, man. Mahesh, but the thing is, it's out there now. Yeah. Someone's going to be thinking about this. Someone's going to want oh, to do man. it. Yeah. I'm sure they already have. Yeah, the issue yeah, I have with these right. technologies oh, is just before we start implementing these technologies, we don't think we don't kind of think of a code of ethics beforehand. Like I think of this when we when looking at um, new uh, like code developers when they design new apps and websites and stuff like that. Like, this is kind of similar. Like these these code de- these developers are coding like a program or a software, but unlike say Facebook or like a, a website that influences us for bad reasons, it isn't permanent. Like it could, you could close it down and stuff like that. But if, if you're coding like a new, um, you know, uh, changing a, an animal permanently, like you, if it is a failure, you can't change it. It's, it's just there forever. And it's, it's, um, that's the key it's, point. It's, so. Once, once yeah. the genie's out the bottle. But yeah, then that's the, yeah. But that, that's a key point in the sense that people should have the choice democratically if this sort of technology wants to be used in yeah. their country. Because if you gene edit a species and propagate yeah. it in the wild, yes, you're mm. affecting a species, but you're also changing the environment for every person living in that mm. area. Totally, it's an environmental totally. change. It's yeah. not just a genetic one. It's an environmental and then, one. And then if, if you're doing it to help, like conserve nature and the wildlife is it even <laughs> is it even true nature and wildlife if you're if you've edited it it just well no my like, concern not, is it's not it's not what you're what you're trying to save is no longer there because you've changed yeah it. you've changed you know it I mean? yeah yeah, no, yeah exactly that's now. what i meant is like say you edited a white rhino's gene after mm-hmm. that is it still a white rhino probably not hey no it's something different yeah. It's a hybrid. I'd, it's I'd, a, I'd, I'd say it's a hybrid. <clears throat> like maybe yeah. you could argue that if you took the gene within the white rhino species and popped it in, it's still a white rhino. But so what if you took it, it from yeah. a different species? That would never happen in nature. So wow. is you know from then on, you've basically eradicated the species. In, if you want to look at it that way, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, so, so I think the most now appropriate applications, I think there was, is, is that if they can be able to control insects that carry, yeah, very, say, uh, pathogens pets, like like mosquitoes, mosquitoes, like the there's dengue fever and uh, you know other like the Zika. I mean, it can be able to give a solution to that, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, that's one of the positives. Know. Yeah. The, the, massive, what massive be the negative. That's a massive positive. Yeah. But I, we don't know what yeah, the long term yeah. consequences you, would be. As, as any new technology. The number of people that die every year in terms because of malaria, um, it's, it's, it's quite a big number. So it could be have a potential of saving quite a number of children that die because of malaria every year. So mm. it's, it's, it's really strange. So I don't know. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on it because it opens the door to so many amazing solutions. Um, but then also we had that thing, I don't know if you guys heard of it, of the Chinese scientist who gene edited the two babies to be HIV mm. resistant. That was mm. done with CRISPR. It wasn't a gene drive, but it's CRISPR. So gene drives are just a way of using CRISPR to integrate it into a population. Um, wow. uh, okay. They integrate the CRISPR system into it. So the CRISPR system's there in its progeny as well. So yeah. it just keeps popping up. So you don't have to keep integrating it. Mm. but the the basis is the CRISPR technology and you know you can edit babies of that as we've seen um, yeah is it ethical <laughs> oh man well, just I mean, say the word just the, the sentence editing babies just <laughs> just sounds wrong okay, but, at a crazy okay, time. but postulate it's it's, crazy. It, it is to make babies in africa resistant to malaria yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's that's an undeniable it, positive. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but then, so why is that a but positive? I just, but making them resistant to HIV isn't. Um, I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying. No, no, yeah. But I'm just. I, I just <laughs> feel like, like once you've opened, of worms. Now that, yeah, that's the thing. Once it's open, it's like if, 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 you, if so, since it can't so be regulated, means, we can't stop anybody from just doing what they want, and then. The meal yeah. can this as well be yeah, used in plants? Yeah, yeah, it can be used in pretty much any species, bacteria, plants, um, humans. I, I mean, I don't know every single one it is a system that can be used quite broadly. And I think uh, the CRISPR system came from a bacteria originally. But you so know, that means, have to that do... means there's, a, there's a big potential of controlling invasive species in areas that have been affected by invasive species. That would also be another application of this, right? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. there's so many good things that can come from it but so many bad things right, right, right. Us, okay. okay so we'll uh, we'll um we'll, we'll part one this this part of the discussion and we'll continue it for the next episode of the oh couch. nice we can have cliffhangers on the couch yeah if you are if you are gripped by this conversation stay tuned subscribe give us a five-star rating um jemu will be testing out a gene drive on himself jemu's gonna test <laughs> in the next episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> Thank you to all the couchies that have listened. We appreciate you. Couchies, I like that. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, what's what? Oh, are that's a good name, couchies. That's like couchies. Really cool. Yeah, couchies. the couchies. couchies. And we are the couchers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know what we are. What are we? We're couchies as well. <laughs> We are couchies. Yeah. Yeah. We are, um, we are the couchies. I'm your couchies. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what English is that. English is not my. That's not English, Jamie. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't use me as an example of the the perfect English. <laughs> that's a bush English. Yeah, it came yeah, yeah. with the. We say in Kenya English. Look, came that's with Birmingham that. for you, Jamie. I'm just. <laughs> you know, I'm just. I'm gene driving it. I'm changing it. Oh yeah, yeah. We're gene driving English yeah, as well. Yeah, so. Yeah. We are, we are the culture. Nothing is off limits. Completely murdering the concept, but yeah. <laughs>